0: Around Comics, Episode 70.
1: Chicago, this is Around Comics, a roundtable discussing topics in and around the world of comics. I'm your host, Christopher Neisman, and I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime and the co-host of Around Comics, Brian Salazar.
0: Happy Halloween, everyone! Oh, wait a
1: <laughs> Whoa. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, yeah. And next is the other co-host of the show, Mr. Tom Cater. Next,
2: but never last. T-G-I-F, people. Thank <laughs> God it's Friday. <laughs>
1: Well the Halloween joke is because we are finally playing an interview that we recorded last Halloween.
2: <laughs> it is aged like a fine wine. I, I want I'm
0: gonna say something here that's not very nice, but I was really, really dreading thinking about we wouldn't get this out until next Halloween. Until next Halloween, <laughs> and I was I was really hoping that nothing would happen to Russ before we got uh, this yeah. out. <laughs> that would be oh
1: awesome. Russ, of course, is Russ Cochran. He is uh, the vanguard of EC Comics. And uh, we talked with him last Halloween for our spooktacular, uh, but we also had our Comics 101 EC <coughs> Comics segment that we had planned to release. Uh, I had to put that off a little bit, and we just released that. And so now I think it's a great time to play our interview with Russ Cochrane. Or
0: two days ago, in case I don't get this out, out by Saturday. <laughs> <clears throat>
1: But uh, before we get to all that, I would like to remind you that this episode of Around Comics is sponsored by InStockTrades.com.
2: Make InStockTrades.com your source for all of the EC archives. InStockTrades will have each archive available and ready to ship the same day they are released. Don't let this chance to collect some of the most influential comics in history pass you by. At 30% off retail price, InStockTrades.com makes the EC archives an affordable addition to any collection. While you're picking up the latest EC archive, Don't forget to check out InStockTrade's amazing selection of trade paperbacks, deluxe hardcovers, essentials, showcases, absolute editions, omnibus editions, and more, all at a great discounted price. All orders over $50 ship-free, InStockTrades.com.
1: Go to InStockTrades.com. Great way to get the EC archives, which you're going to hear all about in the upcoming interview. Uh, I'd like to remind everyone that Around Comics is recorded every Friday at 7 o'clock at Dark Tower Comics and Collectibles. It's located at 4835 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago. If you're in the area, please drop by. We would love to meet you. When you're here, remember to ask about Dark Tower's pull membership. It's one of the best you'll find anywhere. Dark Tower has all of the stuff for your (laughs) comics and collectibles lifestyle. All right, folks, Russ Cochran. Entertaining comics, or as they were more commonly known, EC comics, were the most groundbreaking and industry-changing comics in their or maybe any other era. The list of creators that worked at EC Comics are a comic historian's who's who of sequential art legends. What's what? <laughs> oh. <laughs> but without the efforts of one wife. man, the EC library may have been lost and all but forgotten.
0: And how's on third base? No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Russ Cochran was a university physics professor turned comics vanguard. For over 30 years, Russ Cochran has kept the EC fire alive. With the release of the EC Archives, many readers are getting their first chance to see the full-color EC library. And now, Around Comics is proud to talk with Russ Cochran. Russ, uh, welcome to Around Comics, and thanks for being on the show. Boo! Thank you very much, and boo to you. <laughs>
0: Well, Russ, uh, I think the first thing I'd like to talk to you a little bit about is your history with this project. It goes back quite a few years, and doing my research, or due diligence for the show, I I found out that you were originally a a physicist professor at um, Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. How did you go from that to publishing EC Comics?
3: Well, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, As a professor at the university... Uh, I got to take one trip to a professional meeting every year. And uh, the professional meeting for uh, physics teachers was in New York City in February, usually. And uh, so I wrote Bill Gaines a letter, and I remember how much uh, criticism he would received for publishing... Tales from the Crypt and the other horror comics and so on and how he'd been accused of ruining a generation and causing juvenile <laughs> delinquency and things like that. So I just decided to write him a letter and tell him that uh, of all the guys who read the EC Comics here in, in my hometown in Missouri uh, none of us had turned out to be axe murderers, yet.
2: <laughs> yet, there's still time. <laughs> yeah,
3: that was, it. but that, that, uh, I told him I was a college professor, and other members of our, of our EC fan addicts club were uh, teachers or ministers or doctors or lawyers, and uh, that we enjoyed the comics very much, and they didn't adversely affect us. Well, he, he wrote me back. And he said, if you ever come to New York, uh, come and see me and we'll go out to dinner. So when I went to the physics meetings in New York, I went to see Bill and we hit it off. Um, and I started going to the physics meetings every year and started progressively spending less time with the physics meetings and more time in, in Bill's office. Uh, just talking to him and uh, visiting and... Uh, talking about the EC comics and things like that. And after a few years of this, uh, I would say um, seven or eight years of doing this, Bill and I were at dinner one night, and I said to Bill, those comic books you published back in the 50s, they were just so great. You know, there's a whole new generation of readers out there now. Why don't you publish them again? And Bill said, between bites, he was a big eater. So he <laughs> he, he said, um, no. He said, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to do that again. I they gave me a real hard time for those. And um, I'm doing Mad now, and Mad's doing very well. And um, I just don't think I would do it. And then he paused for a beat or so, and he said, Why don't you do it? <laughs> And you know, the funny thing is, it didn't sink in at that time. Uh, uh, when I was on the airplane heading back to Iowa, and sort of reliving the whole thing, I remember him saying that, and I thought, well, you know, I wonder if I could do that. So that's when the seed was planted, and um, we started you? doing some minor projects before that just to see what would happen. and. The first thing I did was the thing called the EC Portfolio, which was a large uh, portfolio of EC artwork reprinted directly from the originals so that collectors could see uh, how detailed and, and fine the original art was um, compared to how it appeared in the, in the comic books, which were very cheaply printed. And I did that, and um, that went pretty well. And so, so two timelines are running here. Um, I'm getting more and more bored with teaching because I'm teaching the same courses year after year, and I'm getting more and more interested in jumping ship to to do some publishing. So finally, in 1974, these two timelines crossed, and uh, I resigned my. Position at, at Drake University. Um, I I had tenure. Uh, I could have been there the rest of my life, but uh, I decided I wanted to do something more, more interesting and more fun. So I stopped being a professor then, uh, which is uh, thirty two years ago, I guess, <laughs> and uh, started started doing my publishing thing. Man,
0: well, what was it about EC that that really you know? got you so passionate about it I mean why those comics in particular I mean obviously they're at this point you know legendary but
3: they they struck a real chord with me um I like everybody else my age um I was a big comic book reader uh and I read um all the various kinds of comic books um and I enjoyed them but um they they got to be more and more alike, um, you know. Um, superhero comics were they're great when you're, uh, I suppose you know, like seven to ten years old. And um, after Superman or Captain Marvel has uh, saved the universe for the hundredth time, um, it starts to wear wear thin and um so and i like the other kinds of comic books i like the crime comics and the western comics and um, i was just about ready to stop reading comic books um, i i had a large collection of them uh um, always in my room big stacks of comic books and any time i had uh wanted to kill a few hours i'd just pick up some comic books and go through them but it was getting to where um, I was less and less interested in them. And then I found my first EC comic, and all of a sudden um, I realized that the the writing and the artwork was um, better than in most anything else I could get my hands on. And um, that kind of got me re-interested, and I started trying to collect just the EC comics. and. Uh, I kind of forgot about all the rest and just uh, started subscribing to all the EC titles and looking for back issues and things like that.
2: Do you think there was um, I think it's really interesting that you were a physics professor and you had such interest in science fiction. Do you think there's some sort of correlation between that, that maybe an interest in science naturally leads to an interest in science fiction?
3: I think so. Um, Bill Gaines was in school to be a chemistry teacher when his father was killed in an accident and he was thrust into the family business. And he liked science fiction. I think that's why he liked it. And of course you have to remember around this time, the Destination Moon, um, which was one of the first science fiction movies, um, Forbidden Planet, some of these groundbreaking Hollywood science fiction movies were starting to come out. So it was a new genre, uh, in both in movies and in comics. And, um, it, it was, you know, probably became the most popular genre for a while there.
2: Was it ever, did you ever consider it sort of giving it up at some point? I mean, has it always been, I mean, I imagine it's, a, it's been a labor of love at some point.
1: It really has,
3: um, and uh, no, I've never considered giving it up. Um, i um, It's not easy being a, uh, a small independent publisher, and uh, I found that uh, there were times when uh, things got tough financially, but um, about 13 years ago, uh, I talked to Steve Jeppy and uh, and John Snyder, uh, who works with Steve, and um, I realized that uh, if I was hooked into his distribution system, that a lot of my problems would automatically be solved, and I could still do what I wanted mm-hmm. to do. So, uh, in uh, 1993, I sold my publishing business to Steve. And I've been working for him ever since, but doing the same thing.
1: Now, I'm 33 years old, and I came into EC Comics in a really weird roundabout way. My first uh, exposure to EC Comics was Tales from the Crypt on HBO. And what kind of impact did that television series have for you with the the EC reprints?
3: Well, I think it must have... um, um helped sales a lot because, um, of the name recognition, um, you know, the, um, HBO series, uh, was, um, uh, good, uh, but many older EC fans like myself, um, were not too enthusiastic about it because they had, um, taken all the stories and injected, uh, you know, and to, to, because they're on HBO and because they could do it. Um, there, were, uh, there was a lot of sex in, in uh, not that I have anything against that, but uh, it just uh, detracted from the original stories uh, in many cases to me. And um, so um, I, I felt that HBO did a great production job on, on those stories, but basically they just took the, the kernel of a story Um, and embroidered it a lot and I wasn't always happy with the way they embroidered it but it it was a popular series and um, it did well ran for, as you know, for several seasons and the biggest thing it did for me was to increase the name recognition of Tales from the Crypt which led to uh, better sales for my reprint books.
2: Do you think I think it's interesting you brought up the point with sort of the added nudity to uh, <laughs> Tales of the Crypt. Do you think that's do you, th- do you think that's a challenge to horror in a way that there's a certain expectation expectation that things like that will get added to it when it doesn't need to be? Is that a challenge to the horror genre?
3: I think it is. Um, of course, anybody who makes a movie or publishes a comic they want to sell as many copies or as many tickets to the movie as they possibly can. So when you have a successful series of movies like uh, uh, Friday the 13th or Halloween or any of those, um, the uh, th- they have found, I'm sure, that by mixing uh, uh, sexual topics in with uh, the horror that uh, they reach a wider audience, and that's that's what it's all about: is reaching a wider audience. So, um, I think the um, I think of the movies like Dracula and Frankenstein um, as more of a pure kind of horror, um, without um, resorting to um, sex to help sell it. Um, but you know, uh, and and in that way, I think yes, it is a challenge. Um, but some of the greatest horror movies ever made um, have almost no sex in them.
2: What well, do you think? That's almost. Do you think it's a case that a uh, a horror movie or a horror book doesn't even have to frighten? Then almost. I mean, these people could watch sort of Dracula or Frankenstein nowadays and appreciate it as a horror movie, but not be frightened by it at all
3: oh i think so yeah i think uh um i've been watching uh you know every year about this time uh amc Mm -hmm. and turner classic movies rerun a lot of the old horror movies and i've been watching a lot of those this last week and um you know some of those uh are extremely graphic um I think there's another factor too that sometimes we miss and that is that um, if you were a kid in the 40s you didn't have a television in your house. You didn't have access to uh, watch movies as often as you wanted to and uh, when you would go to the movies uh, to the theater it would be an experience and um, when you watch a movie like Frankenstein in a theater, uh, you have the shared experience of a theater full of people uh, so that when the monster uh, appears and starts threatening things, uh, you, you have a high level of excitement in the theater. And there are some people that, that will scream and some people will laugh. And uh, you know, it um, it becomes a charged atmosphere and it's not like that when you watch it on a DVD or a videotape or watch it sitting at home by yourself, watching it on uh, um,
2: cable television. I'll come over to your house and recreate it. Anyone out yeah. there <laughs> 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 scream when Frankenstein lunges.
0: Hey, uh, um, Russ, going back a little bit to the, the, uh, the EC library that you published, um, those were originally published in black and white. I was wondering what the decision to do that, why, why you had made that decision to pr- print those in black and white as opposed to the original color.
3: It was purely an economic decision. Um, It was um, an awful lot of material to be published, and um, printing them in color would have just been too expensive at that time for the kind of audience that I could reach.
0: Well, you know, that leads me to the new, you know, uh, EC archives, And, and personally, I'm extremely happy that you've decided to put these out, because... Uh, I, I never could get around to getting a copy of the EC library, and when I heard these were coming out and they were coming out in color, uh, I was extremely excited about that. And and um, I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. And and what was your decision into you know going back once again and, and starting a- almost from scratch and reprinting uh, everything once again in, in a new format?
3: Well, there were a few reprint projects back. Um in the 60s and 70s, um, where comics were reprinted in color on a better quality paper, and the results were very disappointing because the colors um, would be very uh, garish and loud, um, distracting even. Um, some of the artwork that I loved so much in the EC Comics, uh, when you lay a heavy... Flat color over it it obscures some, some of the artwork and uh, takes away from it so um, the first thing I saw that was in that area was uh, um, there was a book a hardcover book that came out in the 60s called the um, Horror Comics of the 50s it was published by Nostalgia Press and it was a bunch of EC stories that um, were run um, in full color and I found the color very unsatisfying because for one thing the color as it was done for comic books then was was very primitive uh, you you could only had a very limited number of colors that you could use and um, you couldn't do fades and blends and modeling like, for example, if you're looking at the sky in a panel of a comic book, that sky would be a solid gray or a solid blue or whatever. Uh, what we're doing now is recoloring all those using computer techniques, and the sky can can um, can fade or blend uh, to become lighter or darker near the horizon or we can fade one color into another, um, and where, whereby the old way there was uh, only a finite number and a not a very big finite number of colors that are possible to use, uh, the way that it's done with computers now is there's basically an infinite number of colors that can be used. Um, so that large areas on the page, like... Um, a face, when it's a close-up of a face. Uh, in the old EC Comics, that would be colored with just a flat, single color um, of flesh tone. They had one color that they used for flesh tone. It was a mixture of uh, the yellow and the red that they had available to them, and all flesh tones in all comic books from that period were the same. So if you looked at a Tarzan or a Captain Marvel or a Superman or a Tales from the Crypt, the flesh tones were all the same. And they didn't, there was no modeling to them. I mean, you you couldn't see the high, there were no highlights, there was no shading, no darkening on one side, which would be away from the light. Um, And um, with the computer techniques that they use today, I feel that we've got the best of all worlds because we start with the black and white artwork, um, and I have to say that uh, it's a it's an it's an amazing tribute to Bill Gaines that he saved all the EC artwork. Wow! Um, he it was such great artwork he couldn't stand to throw it away, so he kept it in a vault in New York for for all those years. And he he paid to store it because it just didn't make sense to him to throw it away. At the same time, um, all the other comic book publishers, all of them, destroyed the original art. So when you look at a DC archives um, or a Marvel Masterworks, those are not being reproduced from the original art. Those are being reproduced with some sort of attempt to reconstruct the original art from the printed comic book. And the um, sharpness and the detail and the clarity is just not um, not there like it is in the EC stuff because with the ECs, we shot the original art and started with that. So when you have the original art to work from, and then you add in the um, flexibility of modern computer coloring, uh, you have the best of all worlds, I
0: think. And now, originally, most—or I don't know if most—but a lot of that coloring was done by Marie Severin, correct? It, that's right. Mm-hmm. And and I think I had read—I think it might have been in the intro of the book—you had said that you know, while you're using computer technology, you know, available today to recolor the books, you were sort of following her original. Uh, style of of coloring the books, and and I have to say, looking at, I, I know a lot of people when when it was first announced that you were publishing these, and you, you recoloring them all, a lot of people were concerned be, because of the exact same things that you had mentioned. Uh, right.
3: Well, no, I want I want to stay as close to Marie's style of coloring um, as possible, and only just make it a little better. And put some more uh, nuances in it.
1: A little depth to it, and and it, and it shows that. The, uh, the the first one came out this past week, which is the Weird Science, Volume 1, and it, a fantastic job on it. It's, it's really the first time I've been exposed to, to that line of the EC Comics, and uh, one of the, the really nice parts about it is that it has an introduction by George Lucas, and I think that... With the other introductions that were that were seen in the rest of the archive editions, just the the impact that these comics had on creators that would come up a generation later and talk about what what an amazing impact that they had on them. So, what uh, what was yes. it like to get those those introductions together?
3: Well, it was really very gratifying. Uh, I asked uh, Lucas to do an introduction for Weird Science and he said sure and then I asked Steven Spielberg to do one and he said yes and John Carpenter is writing the introduction for the first Tales from the Crypt volume and uh, R.L. Stein Mm -hmm. um, who writes modern horror stories for kids
1: Goosebumps um,
3: (laughs) He's doing an introduction for uh, The Vault of Horror and uh, it's it's pretty amazing um, how many creators of of movies and comics um, uh, George Romero, John Landis, uh, Stephen King, and so on and so on um, read EC Comics and uh, sort of got their initial inspiration from EC Comics. So you know they were they were around at the right time uh, to influence this generation, and, and I think uh, um, almost to a man, these creators are very uh, appreciative of the start that EC Comics gave them, and they they treat the material with a lot of respect.
0: You know, I was wondering when I when I uh, was looking at the the first volume here, uh, it struck me weird that. It's you're saying that you wanted to print these in chronological order.
3: Yes, and that was um, that was a hard decision because, frankly, um, the very best EC material comes in the second and third year. Um, the EC artists had not uh, achieved their individual styles yet, and, and this was something else that. That Bill Gaines was responsible for um, in the in the days before EC, you didn't know who did a, You didn't know who the artist was because often it wasn't just one artist. It would be one guy would pencil, another guy would ink. Maybe another guy would do faces. Maybe another guy would do backgrounds, buildings, and houses, and cars, and things. And the result is that a single page of comic art might have the work of half a dozen artists there. Um, But Gaines encouraged his artists to, rather than telling them to try to all draw alike, he he wanted their individual styles to be shown. And so an artist like Graham Ingalls, who had worked for Fiction House and other comic book companies and had been restricted by being told, uh, how to do his, his artwork, uh, uh, suddenly was cut loose and, uh, turned out that Graham Ingalls had a, an amazing uh, talent for certain types of horror comics, uh, gothic horror with old creaky houses and, uh, dust and cobwebs and vampires and werewolves and things like that. And um, Ingalls uh, was not, well, I shouldn't say it this way. I'm about to say he wasn't as great an artist in 1950, as he was in 1952, 53. But that's actually the fact, because uh, Bill Gaines allowed them to express themselves and in the letters pages that ran in each of the EC comics, they always um, pushed the artists, and they would say, you know, this issue we have the following story by Gastly Graham Ingalls. Before long, Graham Ingalls is signing his work, Gastly, and he's <laughs> stepping up to the plate, and because of the fan reaction, and because he's, they've made him a star now, he's not just an unknown, uh, actor, he's a star because uh, everybody likes what he does. And soon, Al Felstein who wrote all these stories, he, he was writing stories for particular artists. They didn't write a story and then say, okay, what artist should we give this to? They didn't do that. They come in on a Tuesday, let's say, and they would say, well, today, we've got to write a story for Jack Kamen. So if you're writing a story for Jack Kamen, uh, you come up with a story that's got pretty girls and modern settings and uh, probably not not much uh, in the way of gothic horror and so on. The next day they would come in and say, well, now today. We're writing a story for Jack Davis. And so they wrote stories to suit their artist's styles. I yep. don't know that any other comic book companies did this. Yes, that's this, this was another one of that. the reasons EC... Was so, was
0: so great. Um, the other question I had about the, the the chronological order was, you these first six, six issues are Weird Science 12, 13, 14, <laughs> 15, and then it goes back to 5 and 6. I think I know why that is, but could you explain why those are numbered that way and, and why that sure. is?
3: Sure. Uh, in their attempt to uh, find um, good-selling titles, comic book companies um, would switch the name of a title rather than creating a new title. Because if you create a new title, you had to go to the post office and get a new second-class mailing permit for that title. <laughs> and that costs a few hundred dollars. And so, um, for example, uh, um, the EC comic called uh, War Against Crime um and Crime Patrol were two of the E.C.'s crime comics, Uh, they changed into um, The Vault of Horror and Tales from the Crypt simply so they wouldn't have to go to the post office and pay that deposit for the second-class mailing permit. (laughs) So uh, the first issue of The Vault of Horror was number 12, and uh, number 11 had been uh, War Against Crime, number 11.
1: In comics today, they uh, yeah. ju- they would just make them all number one. Yeah,
2: talking about a one eighty that's
1: completely yeah. different.
2: And then at some
3: point, often the post office would catch them and say, "Hey, you can't do that," and they would have to go back. And at that that point, they would start they would renumber them. So that's why uh, Weird Science, the first issue is number twelve, and then you've got thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and then all of a sudden, number five, which is the fifth issue. But uh, that's why the numbering is funny.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
2: What happened once they got to 13 again? (laughs) Uh, They did get to 13 again. As a
3: matter of fact, um, um, when you you buy a Weird Science 12, you have to specify, is this the 1950 issue of Weird Science 12, which is the first issue, or is it the 1952 issue of Weird Science 12, which is worth a lot less?
1: Oh, how interesting! There's an eBay tip, people. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> w- looking through the history of EC comics, and the comic, you know, a lot of comic fans our age coming up look at EC as, oh, those are those comics that were banned, and you know, pre CCA stuff, and now with the you know our exposure to the archives and and you know what we've what we've seen in the last few years we're really starting for the first time to realize what kind of work and and how amazing these comics were and not even ahead of their time i mean they were the time and comics seemed to take a, a great leap backwards uh, do you, do you feel like these archives are going to be able to show a new generation of comic book fans what was going on in the late 40s and 50s?
3: I sure do and I think more than that uh, when uh, comic books or comic art is discussed as an art form um, rather than as just a popular culture um, when you look at them as like what are what are comic books and what makes them, uh, why is this art and what makes it good and what makes it bad. Um, I think that EC Comics uh, will stand out as probably the greatest comic books ever done because of the editing, the storytelling, the writing, and the artwork and the combination of all those factors to uh, to tell a story. And I think if um, one of my... One of my hopes is that um, everyone who listens to this program will go to their local library, public library or school library, and encourage them to put these EC Archives books on the shelves because for the first time uh, they're being published in a format that's friendly to libraries. Uh, when I did the EC... Um, library and the uh, EC comic book reprints and a series I did called the EC classics and so on they were not really published in a form which was friendly to libraries Uh, and so um, after DC and Marvel had sort of paved the way for this in their archive books I realized that uh, now um, a library can comic book stories in a format that um, is uh, something that they want in other words a hardcover format in a permanently bound book and it's the the EC archives books are all uh, Smythe sewn which means the um, pages are sewn together Mm -hmm. and uh, not perfect bound perfect bound you know when you have a perfect bound book the Twelfth time you go through it, a page a book comes out in your hand, okay. and you and you think, "Uh oh, um, my book is
2: coming apart." Perfect in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah, that's,
3: that's right. <laughs> well, well
0: um, <clears throat> talking about so. the the history of D, uh, of EC, I uh, leading up to the show, I I did a lot of research trying to learn as much as I could about about EC Comics because I had really just been ignorant in 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 a lot of the history of it. and the further i got into it the more interesting the story from the very beginning is i was wondering have you ever looked at or has anyone ever talked about possibly uh, an ec comics documentary because to me it seems like a perfect uh
3: subject well, subject matter a pretty darn good one has been done there's a, a fellow named uh chip selby s-e-l-b-y and he produced uh, a documentary about the EC comics. He was first commissioned, oddly enough, by uh, AMC American Movie Classics, to make a documentary which would run right about now um, at Halloween, in, in conjunction with uh, with the old Universal horror movies and so on. Um, his documentary came out a couple of years ago, and. Uh, uh is occasionally on television but it's available also as um, a videotape uh you can find it in just about any comic book store or um, you know in a place like uh diamond distributors um, and it's um it's, it's actually an hour long show with about uh two additional hours of outtakes and extras And uh, anyone who's interested in EC Comics would enjoy this documentary.
0: Well, I'll definitely have to look for that. Um, So now you're you're publishing the four first four volumes uh, in the next few months here. Um, And after that, I think your plan is to do two a month for. one every two months. Oh, one every yeah. two months. Okay, so we're going to end up with a total... You tot- just scared him. <laughs> <It's> like, ah! <laughs> Sorry. Boom! So si- si- <laughs> six in 2007. Your six, so, we're gonna have, so you're going to have a total of ten books then. is that is that Does that encompass the entire... Archive. Archive?
3: No, the entire archive is going to take about 40 books. Wow. Because uh, we get six issues, um, six complete issues of a comic book into each hardcover book. And uh, the EC Comics ran from 1950 to 1955. And when you figure out the number of titles that they had, uh, it's going to take uh, uh, somewhere between 40 and 50 hardcover books to contain it all.
1: Wow, so is that the the ultimate plan and goal?
3: That is the ultimate plan, and uh, that is my goal to... uh, to get all that stuff in print and uh, in libraries and institutions uh, so that um, you know, it's when you think about it um, uh, the art forms which are native to America um, include the comic books and um, certain types of music like jazz music and so on Uh, a person who wants to learn about this uh, prior to now um, well let's say 20-30 years ago you go to a library and you say I'm interested in Benny Goodman or I'm interested in Louis Armstrong or or whatever Um, they might have a book about when he was born and when he died and so on but as far as being able to go in there and listen to the actual music that they created that was the actual art form you couldn't do it right and the same is true of comic books if you go into most libraries and say I've heard that EC comics were the greatest comics around I'd like to look at some of them Well, you're out of luck because uh, the original issues are too expensive and too uh, valuable and and rare susceptible to damage uh for them to uh have them and um, and so on but only now are you is it starting to be where you can uh go Recent. to a library and find uh examples of great comic art. Sure.
0: Well, Russ, I, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on the show. We really appreciate it, and, th- and thank you so much for keeping EC Comics alive for all these years. It's such an important part of, co- of the comic book history um, of this industry, and and it's just such a great thing that you're doing, I think, to, to bring these out, and hopefully we'll get a lot of new uh, generations of, of readers that, that take a look at these books, because they're they're truly fantastic works. Uh, looking at them and, and going back and thinking of the, the times that these were done and and as you had said you know uh, Al Al had had written the majority of these stories if not all of them and and it's just amazing to think that one one man really you know was able to come up with that many amazing stories and, and great ideas but uh, that's
3: true and and uh, in turn I think um, the guys like Bill Gaines and Al Felstein who brought their talents to bear on this and all the E.C. artists that uh, that blossomed under this system and uh, I'm very pleased to be able to preserve some of their work for future generations a lot of those artists uh, went to their graves thinking that they hadn't done anything important that they had worked in a disposable medium where uh, the comics that they drew um uh, one year, were not available the next year or the year after that and so on, and there was no way they could achieve any, um, any following or any uh, permanent audience. And that is changing now, and I'm very happy to be a part of that.
1: Well, I'm going to have to start saving up a lot of money if I'm going to have to buy 50 of these things. <laughs> 40. <laughs> for only 40. Yeah, man. yeah. So come on, you know, extended editions. You know, it's <laughs> keep, keep it under 40 for me.
0: Well, thanks again, <laughs> Russ. We really do appreciate it. And here uh, is hoping you have a, a happy Halloween and... and uh, Good luck with with the books. I hope you have
3: okay. a horrible
0: Halloween.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you,
3: guys, very much, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to
1: me. You oh, bet. Uh, and i tell you what, we'll uh, we'll look uh, maybe sometime in 2007, we'll get an update on, uh, on the next slate of EC Archives.
3: That'll be great. I'll All be ready.
1: Great. Thank you very Thanks. much, Russ.
3: Okay. Right.
2: Bye-bye.
3: Bye. Bye.
1: All right, and a big thank you to Russ Cochran uh, Really folks Check out those EC archives do yourself a favor and not just learn about comics history, but read some great comics.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, and that's you know that's one of the things I wanted to kind of say <clears throat> about uh, us talking so much about the EC comic archives and, and how great they were. It's not just something where you know you're looking through rose-colored glasses. Not nostalgia. It's yeah, it's not just nostalgia. They're, they're still relevant. They're, they're still extremely fun and entertaining comics. Uh, and iron. that's what, make, yeah amazing art. Well,
1: mm-hmm. you know, we talked about it with, with Hillary in our Comics 101 <laughs> segment about uh, Tales from the Crypt, the TV show on, on HBO, that it, decades after those Are comics... Are you getting
2: paid were, by HBO to keep mentioning
1: <laughs> Tales from <laughs> the Crypt? Yes. The yeah. DVD sales yeah, it's it, Skyrocketing. Rockin it. it, it's payola. Um, <laughs> but... Those Cowboys stories Explaners. remained relevant <laughs> decades after they were done. That's why it was a successful TV series is because yeah. those stories stayed good. They, they they aged very, very well.
0: They were spooktacular.
1: They were spooktacular. All right. Well, uh, would like as we finish up here, I would like to uh, remind everyone to help us spread the around comics love. There's a few different ways that you can do that. You can download our flyer and uh, take us up on the Listener LCS Challenge. We've got details about that at the website. You can give us a dig at dig.com. You can also become our virtual friend at comic space which is www.comicspace.com slash around comics and my personal favorite you can leave us a review at the itunes music store
2: uh and while you're on the internet looking at the itunes (laughs) store to write a review you might as well come to the website and uh, check out all the great things that aroundcomics.com has to offer it's your source for the best in comic book news reviews and opinions while you're there please take a minute to fill out our listener survey it lets us know who we're talking to and how we can make Around Comics a better show.
0: We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. The CPN is a collection of the best comic book podcasts on the net. You can learn more about the network and find more great podcasts at comicpodcast.com.
1: Just so everyone is aware, we post next week's topic on Tuesdays or thereabout at the forum at Mm www.aroundcomics.com. I would like to thank everyone for joining us today. Sal, Tom, and especially Russ Cochran.
0: And thank you, Russ Cochran, for keeping EC alive all these years. Thank you, Mr. Cochran.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Everyone, have a fantastic rest of your week and weekend. We will be back again next Monday with another full-length episode. This Monday. This Monday. Yes.
0: Uh, next month, next well, Monday next would be two, Monday. two Mondays.
2: The next possible Monday. I've you have never that. <laughs> well, next oh, well, this Monday, Monday, this next Monday, Monday
0: is the one that's coming up, and the next Monday would the be the next one after Monday that.
2: you will experience as a human being. <laughs> well, be the one <laughs> the, uh, where are we going to be in um, between now and then? Uh, everywhere in, oh, in and around. Delayed gratification. <laughs>
0: Bringing you the very best news, reviews, and opinions in and around comics. Around comics is a pipe dream production. Copyright 2006, all rights reserved.
3: Love you, babe. Yeah. Why you got my love and left me long? Why you got my love and left me I know that you don't love me. Oh, baby.